This is an AMI podcast. I want to acknowledge that this podcast was produced and hosted on the unceded ancestral and traditional lands of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh First Peoples. I feel truly honored to live, to work, and to play on these lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Accessing Art with Amy. I'm your host, Amy Amanti. My pronouns are she and her. I first met Vanessa over Zoom, or maybe it was email, as part of her work with Legacy Circus. She's, I guess you could call her a pandemic friend. Her training in circus arts and her identities as a mad artist and neurodivergent, while Vanessa brings these intersections into her work as a therapeutic clown. Now, I've heard of art therapy and music therapy, but clown therapy? Well, what a lovely jester. (laughs) Get it? That's my attempt at a clown joke, friends. Please welcome Vanessa joining us in her costume from the hospital she works at in Halifax, Nova Scotia. My name's Vanessa Furlong, and I am a mad artist in Chibuktuk, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I am a clown and circus artist. Welcome, Vanessa, to the program. Really excited to be talking to you about clowning and circus arts. For folks who don't know, um, you identified as a mad artist. And I wonder, first off, if you can share with us what that means to you. Yeah, I'd love to. So mad arts, I guess, in relation to the mad pride movement. And so just someone who identifies as neurodivergent and uh, uses that, you know, just in the way that I shape my career, but also sometimes in the content that I do with my art. Oh, I think we're going to end up getting into that for sure, because we have not had somebody who does a lot of clown or clowning. Am I even calling that the right art, you know, the right artistic form? Do you prefer to be called a clown? Clown, clowning. I I mean, the the clown's the character and the clowning's the thing you do, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. I love the context. So I don't know a lot about clowns unless you're talking about the movie It, which is not the kind of clown that I think you are. So tell us a bit about clowning and how you got into that. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I started out with theater and in theater, it is, you know, one of the basic things that's required that you do learn about is clowning and whether or not you choose to take that seriously um, to pursue is a whole other thing, right? But yeah, I mean, there's a long history there of how it was used in society, whether it was to tell moral tales or for some spiritual purposes. And in other ways, it's used just as a form of entertainment and sometimes just to kind of poke fun at some of the things that are going on culturally and and societally. So in my context, I'm using it therapeutically. Um, I work as a therapeutic clown. And so kind of using that whole, how do we take someone who's at the lowest possible rung in society the clown and help to use that to empower other people in my presence. Huh, I love that idea. So a therapeutic clown then would work in a hospital setting or like what kind of environment are you in? I'm in a hospital. Yeah, the therapeutic clown can be used in social circus, can be used in hospitals, elder care homes, um, essentially anywhere where someone might need a little bit more autonomy and empowerment. Okay, so I, I'm I'm gonna get you to describe what you look like as a clown because yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious. Um, well, it's one of those things because I, my character technically and my name they have to be kept separated uh-huh. to keep kind of the magic of it. So my clown character, I will tell you this though, does not wear the red nose. 
Okay. So I'm not wearing the face paint. I'm not wearing the red nose, but I absolutely wear my pants a little too high. (laughs) I absolutely wear a wig and just, I kind of look like, I guess if you can imagine an elder person who just hasn't let go of their 90s workout fashion. Okay. I'm mm-hmm. I'm imagining bold colors and mm. patterns and Absolutely. Um, I don't know what color's the wig. Is it like a bright red or a purple or a green? No, I'm old. You're so old, old. So it's a gray? So it's gray. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Oh, that's so fun. How how did you discover that like the therapeutic clowning thing was going to be the right avenue for you as opposed to like a circus performing clown? Mm, well, I started out doing the circus performing and would MC a lot of events that way. Because when it comes to circus, you're looking at these superhuman feats. Um, so you have these people who are doing acts that are very dangerous, very risky, very hard to do. And it provides a lot of tension in the audience because, you know, they're anticipating the trick or the thing happens and it's scary or whatever it is. And so circus was typically, the circus clown would come in to kind of relieve that tension and let people kind of feel like they can relate in some ways because most folks can't relate to what it is to be that superhuman, right? So I started out doing that and then there was a position because therapeutic clowning, there's really not a lot of positions out there. The position came up and I went for it and I just so, I really believed in what it was that the clown was doing, I guess, what the role was. I believed in it wholeheartedly. So I I figured that was where I needed my work to go. And is that a lot about bringing laughter and levity into some people's lives and and like the moments that they need it? Or like, I just, I'd love to, I'm thinking about the movie Patch Adams too, of course. They're like, for whatever day, for whatever reason today, I'm thinking about a lot of different movies, but um, (laughs) I just would love to have some context around like what I would experience if you were my therapeutic clown. Well, I mean, laughter definitely becomes a part of it. But first and foremost, it's just providing you with the sense of being in control of your environment. When you come to a hospital, you are surrounded by people who carry this air of importance, of education, of and, and it's scary. And you're very vulnerable. You're potentially having one of the worst days of your life or have received terrible news or are feeling very vulnerable and scared. And everybody who comes into your room has an agenda. And so my role is to first off, ask if I can be in your space. So I'm this bizarre character. I'm knocking on the door. I'm asking, do you want to participate in this? And if they say no, then I respect that and I leave. And that was their first opportunity to be like, I don't want that interaction, right? Right. And so that may be enough for them just to, to, to have that control. If I am invited into the room, then it's a matter of, does this person want to escape what it is that they're experiencing at the hospital and, and, and just play for a bit? Or do they want to address what it is that they're going through? And so for the folks who want to address it, maybe there's somebody in there or something about being in there that's really making them angry. Well, then let's make a giant poster of it. Let's take a syringe full of paint and let's shoot it at the (laughs) the thing. Oh, okay. I got that. Let's take a rubber chicken and fling it across the room. Let's turn your bed into a fort. Those things. So it's just about them normalizing 
where they are, the experience that they're having, and as just kind of feeling free uh, a little bit. So you have to be able to like balance the sense of play, but also put on the therapist's hat at the same time because somebody may be wanting to share with you something that's really heavy. So how do you navigate those two intersections? Mm, and and that's just it because the the therapeutic clown. I mean, you have art therapists, you have music therapists, and they are trained as therapists. But a therapeutic clown is not. So although we have like an idea of how to navigate something like that, just based on our training and our experiences, you have to bring that information to someone else. So if what the person is focusing on is harmful to themselves, then we find a way to distract from that and provide them with something else to talk about or to experience. And if they've brought something to me that um, is important information, then I have to bring that to the person who can provide the better care, who can actually like filter through that and figure out what to do next because that's that's not my role my role is you know just in again guided play right and then i guess i wonder too about the types of folks that you work with because it sounds like you know you could work with anybody from very 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 young to uh, both ends of the spectrum we'll say very very young to very very senior Mm -hmm. absolutely and all different types of experiences as well so right now I am working with younger generations and I'm more heavily focused on mental health um, these days because it's often an overlooked spot. You know, you, you hear about, especially kids getting to play, but you don't, you don't hear about teens and youth being provided the opportunity to have that same play. And oftentimes when you are in seeking help for mental health and addictions, there are things that are taken from you. So this is a service that I'm trying to give to them that that often gets overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate that. And and to be honest with you, something that wouldn't have been on my radar to even think about. So I actually appreciate even more the fact that somebody's thinking about teenagers and, and younger people and what their experiences are, because I've, I've been so far removed from that, that it's not part of my everyday experience, nor my my wheelhouse in a certain sense. So Vanessa, you know, right at the top, you shared with us that you identify as a mad artist, as neurodivergent. I wonder if there are folks listening that don't know what neurodivergent is, if you could unpack that a, a tad, if you're comfortable, and then maybe share with us like how that integrates with the work that you do as a clown. For sure. Yeah. And and, and it is, so neurodivergence, one of those words that's tossed out, but it's also tossed out alongside words like neurodiverse and neurotypical. And neurodiverse just meaning the combination of folks who identify neurodivergent and folks who identify neurotypical. And the difference just being those who are neurodivergent tend to either have something that is diagnosed or is um, self-affirming that they just operate mentally differently. And so it may be that they process information differently. It may be that they live with experiences of mental health and along that spectrum. It may be that they are autistic and all, I I mean, anything under those umbrellas versus neurotypical, someone who does not live with the divergence, I guess, and, and in place there. So yeah, so I'm someone who identifies as neurodivergent, you know, multiple diagnoses and, and all kinds of fun theories from people on on what it is. But at the end of the day, I just know that yeah. I operate a little differently. Yeah. Um, and I've celebrated that. I, I mean, I fought that for a very long time 
because it, it, when you're growing up, it's difficult to be on the outskirts. Oh, and yeah. yeah, and and particularly, you know, when I was younger, a, a lot of the things that are in place to help with that uh, were not <laughs> at all. And so yeah, I fought that for the longest time. And then it dawned on me, I was like, wow, like, all of the poetry that I'm writing and the theater that I'm doing and the things that I'm writing, the art that I'm making is somehow centered on the processes that I need to get it done. And then sometimes actually include some of that content in it. And I have been thriving in my career by using those as coping. And so I was like, rather than fighting that, I really need to choose to celebrate that because what has made me different has actually led to the super rich career in art and has also led to me having a, a deeper understanding, I think, in a therapeutic approach because I get that there are times that you need to escape or experience the things that make you different. Mm. I, I, that totally resonates with me because I too was that kid that went to school and I was like, this, my brain is not processing this. Like, why am I not getting this the same way everybody else is getting this? And it took me a long time until, you know, in the last couple of years where I started to identify as neurodivergent as well. And it turns out that I, I may be living with a tad bit of dyslexia, which I had never really identified with until very recently. And it just like once I once I figured it out, like click, 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 it all started yeah. to make sense for me. And it is how I approach much of my work, too. So that total like you're you're speaking to my heart, my friend, <laughs> um, totally, totally resonates. And I think, you know, being neurodiverse is not something that we always talked about, but it's something that's becoming more and more discussionary in many circles, which I'm really, mm. really happy to see, because as you rightly put, there's you know, if we can if we can turn our experiences into a celebration. And that probably I would say should align with maybe any disability. If you have the ability to turn that yeah. into a celebration, I celebrate my blindness all the time. So I, I just, I really love that spirit and that attitude. Have you discovered Vanessa in your career as a clown that there have been any sort of impacts on your work, any barriers maybe um, with being neurodivergent that you've had to navigate through? I mean, yeah, it, it, for me, for the most part, it's, it's just a matter of how I internalize some of the work that I'm doing, and as well as just going about day to day, you know, there are some folks who can really grind, they can go day to day and get that work done, they get their emails answered, they're answering their texts. And for me, um, especially as someone as an artist who a lot of this you have to do yourself, I really struggled with that part of it. And I thought, if I don't figure out how to answer my emails on time, how do I get to my phone on time? How do I make an invoice? How do I if I don't allow myself to kind of get swallowed into that and work it out, then I, I'm not going to make it. And so it, it was processing a lot of that. But then on top of that, when you're a clown, you are the butt of everyone's jokes. <laughs> you know, you like, said it. <laughs> there it is. There, there it is. is. And, and so I'm walking around every day facing rejection. And that rejection I have to keep in mind that this is more about what the other person is experiencing, less than what it is to do with me personally. I am there to be the safe space for that person to express how they're feeling that day. So if someone looks at me and is just like, oh, heck no, there will be no clown in my presence. 
you wouldn't do that to someone you met in 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 life that wasn't a clown. You wouldn't see someone and be like, oh no, 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 you're gonna get away, right? But so I I have provided by being that clown that safe space for the person to just be truthful, just be like, no, no. (laughs) So I have to learn to not internalize those interactions and to remember that when people are making fun, they're making fun of the character, no matter how closely I identify with that character. And so it is an everyday check-in. Every single day, I have to remember to check in and make sure that this work, as a lot of people who work in any caregiving role, how is this affecting me? How can I cope? And then get ready for the next day. I think that's a really important message for anybody too. Like the da- the idea of a daily check-in. When you live with disability, sometimes you experience these things, like you just said, that can take away your own power and your own self-esteem. And, and yeah, the daily check-ins are really, really important thing, especially it sounds like with the work that you do. And I, I kind of wonder about how often you, somebody says to you, go away. I don't want you in my space. (laughs) Or how often people say to you, no, please, I'd love a clown. Come on in. Like, do you find that, that, you know, it tips one way or the other for you? I mean, it does. It's, it's an up and down. And some days, some days there's a lot of the down, some days there's a a lot of up. And there's this cool collective thing that happens. You're walking through the hallways and if the staff are feeling down, the patients may be feeling down, like it's, it really is a collective. And so I do my best to um, be present for that, to feel that out, to see if there's some way that I can help with the coping there. And if not, then just let that be. Just let that be tomorrow. If that's what they want in their space, that's what they want. There's a lot of joy here. There really is. Um, I spend a good amount of time with people being appreciative, but, but I mean, with the stigma of clowns as it is with the fact that these folks are going through what they're going through in the hospital and we're going, it's a pandemic. Yeah. No Uh, no one's having a great day. So no one's having a great day. Right. And so I, I, it is a lot up and down. You know, I, I myself have been in hospitals many times. I've never come across a clown. Um, Mm. And I would, I would invite that in my space. And I don't know if it's just something that, you know, my hospital doesn't do or hospitals in our area. Cause I just wonder about, you know, you're joining us from Halifax mm-hmm. and I, if it's just more of a cultural thing there to include this kind of therapeutic work or whether we could find clowning in hospitals, like all over the country. Do you know of other hospitals that are doing this work? Yeah, I know it's really big Montreal ah. and Toronto, I think Winnipeg as well. So it is in children's hospitals and in elder care, it is pretty big and globally it's quite big as well but I think it's a matter of because it is like alternative care it's allied care it's a matter of just making sure that folks know that this is um, there are case studies out there that are done about this this is legit work and so once you have more folks accepting that this is legit work, then you can have more folks trained to do that work. There becomes funding. Uh, but that's that. I mean, in terms of clowning, mo- for the most part, these clowns are seeking out grants to get themselves funded. Very rarely are hospitals just like, all right, let's create this 
clowning yeah, yeah. role and how, you know, even my own role is funded um, externally right. um, to ensure that I'm here. Yeah. You know, we could identify so many problems with the system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's, right. There's one of them right there because this work sounds incredible to me um, and incredibly beneficial to those who take you up on it. But as you, I think as you, you rightly pointed out, probably incredibly important to folks that turn it down too, right? Like you said, mm -hmm. it gives them back their, their power in that moment, their choice in that moment, in a moment where you may not have a lot of power because of the situation that you're in. So um, yeah, that's super yeah. interesting. I had no idea what a global thing this yeah. was. Um, yeah, there's it's uh, like it's massive cool. even in Israel. Yeah, just it's all over. And they have conferences. They have global conferences all over the world. Have you been to a conference? No, no, because I've only I've only been a therapeutic clown during the pandemic. Ah, so is this work? This is I'm assuming I'm make, I'm putting the assumption out there that this is work you plan to continue with then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I ah. think I think this is. Um, this is a lifer type thing for me. It's not the type of thing that you can, you know, uh, grow, <laughs> climb up some corporate ladder. <laughs> so you're the, C the CEO of the clowning department. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't think that's going to happen. So I, there will always be a place for me doing my external art as as the way that I grow, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe you know, maybe take on a couple of clown interns in here and and spread the word and spread the joy. But yeah, I think I, I do think this is long term. Yeah. Oh, if I'm ever in the Halifax area, I'm yeah. going to get you to teach me how to do some clowning stuff. Um, be amazing, because I think it's such a an interesting outlet. And I've done a couple of workshops and I just mm -hmm. like, it's wet my appetite for it. But you really have to find somebody who can help mentor you through that. That's, that's been my experiences. Taking a workshop is not good enough. You have to, you have to shadow a clown. Yeah. And honest to goodness, every workshop I've ever taken, I ball my eyes out. There's, there's something about clown where they're like, all right, let's dig down deep and raw and like <laughs> expose all of the things that you or it, it, basically you're taught how to fail properly, Yeah, you know, and uh, finding someone that can teach you that, that's, that's tough stuff. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a life skill right there. Mm -hmm. You should be going into high schools and teaching kids and yes, teams here's how, how to, to fail, how to, yeah, how to, no. how to just let that bounce off you, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Vanessa, I hear a sound coming in. Um, as much as I'd love to continue talking to you about clowning, because I think it's super interesting, I'd love to play the mixed bag with you. Are you I'm up? I'm so ready. So ready. Awesome. Okay. Three questions, 25 cool. seconds-ish. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to throw them at you. Okay. Question number one. Oh, golly. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise do I? Oh, cicadas. Really? Yes. Those are the, Bring it on. the Beatles that like every 17 oh, yeah. years or something, isn't it? Oh, it's they, like the the buzzing sound um, yeah. in the woods in the heat of summer. I think those are part of the beetles that that like come out of the ground every seventeen years. They reproduce what? massively every seventeen. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, I I'm yeah. Looking okay. Now. Well, I'm looking do you get it up. A lot of, you got a lot of cicadas in Halifax. I uh, the outskirts in the woods. Really? In the woods, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that mm -hmm, was not mm -hmm, a sound mm -hmm. I was expecting from a cloud, <laughs> but I'll take it. It's all good. Um, okay, ready for question two? So ready. If you could be a cartoon character for a day, who oh, would you no. be? Oh no! Cartoon. Think cartoons. Think cartoons. What cartoons do I know? Okay. Um, Centaur World. Um, I, oh golly, I don't remember the name, but one of the centaurs in Centaur World. 
Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know anything about Centaur World, so. Um, it's it's essentially like the writers ate some delightful treats and then <laughs> sat down and wrote. Uh, it's it's just absurdity. All right. I'm going to have to look mm-hmm. that up. Mm-hmm. There we go. Painless so far, I hope. Last question <laughs> okay. is, name a guilty pleasure that you feel you just couldn't live without. Oh, guilty. Oh, oh, dear. Um, Korean dramas. Huh. Mm-hmm. In Korean with subtitles? or Absolutely. You... 100%. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. So Korean dramas are like my dessert entertainment because I, I read a lot of heavy stuff, watch a lot of heavy stuff, yeah. deal with a lot of heavy stuff. Korean dramas are as fluffy as it gets. Basically, they spend 25 episodes falling in love. Everybody eats all of the time. Everyone's outfits are to the nines. Holding hands is considered like whew, taboo. I love it. <laughs> it sounds like it's a it's pure joy. <laughs> it is pure joy for me. It's just bubblegum joy. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. Vanessa, it's been such a joy to be in a space with you. Thank you so much for spending time with us and just maybe let folks know where it is they can find you on social media. Yeah, come and visit. Visit me on Instagram, Vanessa underscore Bobessa, which is V-A-N-E-S-S-A underscore B-O-B-E-S-S-A. It is private, so you have to make a request. And the other is Legacy Circus, and it's Legacy underscore Circus. And that's all on Instagram. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, I hope this isn't the end of our conversations because I'm coming out to clown one of these days. I promise you that. I would so love that. So love it. Come on down. And before we say goodbye, here's the quote of the day by Charlie Chaplin. To truly laugh, you must be able to take your pain and play with it. Thanks for listening to Accessing Art with Amy. It takes a group of clowns to put this podcast together. And here is the cast of characters. Produced and hosted by me, Amy Amanti. Technical production by Jacob Schumansky and Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. If you'd like to reach out to the show with any comments or feedback, you can do so by email at feedback at ami.ca or by telephone at 1-866-509-4545. Thanks again to my guest today, Vanessa Furlong. Keep exploring. See you next time. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.